Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Chapter 27 Transport and Supply. A new officer, Young, came from Mesopotamia to reinforce our staff. He was a regular of exceptional quality, with long and wide experience of war, and perfect fluency in Arabic. His intended role was to double-mine with the tribes, that our activity against the enemy might be broader and better directed. To let him play himself into our fresh conditions, I handed him over the possibility of combining Zaid Nasir and Mirzak into an eighty-mile-long interruption of the railway, Faman northward, while I went down to Aqaba and took ship for Suez to discuss futures with Allenby. Doné met me, and we talked over our brief before going up to Allenby's camp. There General Bowles smiled happily at us and said, Well, we're in salt, all right. To our amazed stares, he went on that the chiefs of the Beni Sacker had come into Jericho one morning to offer the immediate cooperation of their 20,000 tribesmen at Themid, and in his bath next day, he had thought out a scheme and fixed it all right. I asked who the chief of the Beni Sacker was, and he said Fahad, triumphing in his efficient inroad into what had been my province. It sounded madder and madder. I knew that Fahad could not raise four hundred men, and that at the moment there was not one tent on Themid. They had moved south to Young. We hurried to the office for the real story, and learned that it was, unfortunately, as Bowles had said. The British cavalry had gone impromptu up the hills of Moab, on some airy promise of the Zebin sheikhs. Greedy fellows, who had ridden into Jerusalem only to taste Allenby's bounty, but had there been taken at their mouth value. Of course, this raid miscarried while I was still in Jerusalem, solacing myself against the inadequacy of bowls with stores, now the urbane and artful governor of the place. The Beni Sacker were supine in their tents, or away with young. General Chauvel, without the help of one of them, saw the Turks reopen the Jordan fords behind his back and seized the road by which he had advanced. We escaped heavy disaster, only because Allenby's instinct for a situation showed him his danger, just in time, yet we suffered painfully. Our movement, clean-cut while alone with a simple enemy, was now bogged in its partner's contingencies. We had to take our tune from Allenby, and he was not happy. The German offensive in France was stripping him of troops, 
He would retain Jerusalem, but could not afford a casualty, much less an attack, for months. The War Office promised him Indian divisions from Mesopotamia and Indian drafts. With these, he would rebuild his army on the Indian model. Perhaps, after the summer, he might be again in fighting trim. But for the moment, we must both just hold on. At tea time, Allenby mentioned the Imperial Camel Brigade in Sinai, regretting that in the new stringency he must abolish it and use its men as mounted reinforcements. I asked, What are you going to do with the camels? He laughed and said, Ask Q. Obediently, I went across the dusty garden, broke in upon the quartermaster general, Sir Walter Campbell, very Scotch, and repeated my question. He answered firmly that they were earmarked as divisional transport for the second of the new Indian divisions. I explained that I wanted 2,000 of them. His first reply was irrelevant. His second conveyed that I might go on wanting. I argued, but he seemed unable to see my side at all. Of course, it was of the nature of a cue to be costive. I returned to Allenby and said aloud, before his party, that there were for disposal 2,200 riding camels and 1,300 baggage camels. All were provisionally allotted to transport, but of course, riding camels were riding camels. The staff whistled and looked wise, as they too doubted whether riding camels could carry baggage. A technicality, even a sham one, might be helpful. Every British officer understood animals as a point of honour, so I was not astonished when Sir Walter Campbell was asked to dine with the commander-in-chief that night. We sat on the right hand and on the left, and with the soup, Allenby began to talk about camels. Sir Walter broke out that the providential dispersing of the camel brigade brought the transport of the division up to strength, a godsend, for the Orient had been vainly ransacked for camels. He overacted. Allenby, a reader of Milton, had an acute sense of style, and the line was a weak one. He cared nothing for strengths, the fetish of administrative branches. He looked at me with a twinkle. And what do you want them for? I replied hotly, to put a thousand men into Dara'a any day you please. He smiled and shook his head at Sir Walter Campbell, saying sadly, Q, you lose. The goat became giddy and the sheep sheepish. It was an immense, a regal gift, the gift of unlimited mobility. The Arabs could now win their war when and where they liked. Next morning... I was off to join Faisal in his cool eyrie at Abba el-Lisan. We discussed histories, tribes, migration, sentiments, the spring rains, pasture, at length. Finally, I remarked that Allenby had given us 2,000 camels. Faisal gasped and caught my knee, saying, How? I told him all the story. He leaped up and kissed me. Then he clapped his hands loudly. Hedgerous black shape appeared at the tent door. Hurry, cried Faisal, call them. Hedgerous asked whom? Oh, Fahad, Abdullah al-Fayr, Auda, Motlug, Za'al. And not Mirzak, queried Hedgerous mildly. Faisal shouted at him for a fool, 
and the black ran off, while I said, It is nearly finished. Soon you can let me go. He protested, saying that I must remain with them always, and not just till Damascus, as I had promised in Umlej, I who wanted so to get away. Feet came pattering to the tent door and paused, while the chiefs recovered their grave faces and set straight their headcloths for the entry. One by one, they sat down stilly on the rugs, each saying unconcernedly, Please God, good? To each Faisal replied, Praise God, and they stared in wonder at his dancing eyes. When the last had rustled in, Faisal told them that God had sent the means of victory, two thousand riding camels. Our war was to march unchecked to freedom, its triumphant end. They murmured in astonishment, doing their best, as great men, to be calm, eyeing me to guess my share in the event. I said, the bounty of Allenby. Zal cut in swiftly, for them all. God keep his life and yours. I replied, we have been made victorious, stood up with a by-your-leave to Faisal, and slipped away to tell Joyce. Behind my back, they burst out into wild words of their coming wilder deeds. Childish, perhaps, but it would be a pretty war in which each man did not feel that he was winning it. Joyce also was gladdened, and made smooth by the news of the two thousand camels. We dreamed of the stroke to which they should be put, of their march from Beersheba to Aqaba, and where, for two months, we could find grazing for this vast multitude of animals. They must be broken from barley, if they were to be of use to us. These were not pressing thoughts. We had, meanwhile, the need to maintain ourselves all summer on the plateau, besieging Man and keeping the railways cut. The task was difficult. First, about supply. I had just thrown the existing arrangements out of gear. The Egyptian camel transport companies had been carrying steadily between Aqaba and Abba al-Lisan, but carrying less and marching less than our least sanguine estimate. We urged them to increase weights and speeds, but found ourselves up against cast-iron core regulations, framed to keep down the figures of animal wastage. By increasing them slightly, we could double the carrying capacity of the column. Consequently, I had offered to take over the animals and send back the Egyptian camel men. The British, being short of labor, jumped at my idea almost too quickly. We had a terrible scramble to improvise drivers upon the moment. Young took over transport and quartermaster work, in which his drive and ability would be better employed. Using his full power, he grappled with the chaos. He had no stores for his columns, no saddles, no clerks, no veterinaries, no drugs and few drivers, so that to run a harmonious and orderly train was impossible, but Young very nearly did it, in his curious, ungrateful way. Thanks to him, the supply problem of the Arab regulars on the plateau was solved. All this time, the face of our revolt was growing. Faisal, veiled in his tent, maintained, incessantly, the teaching and preaching of his Arab movement. Aqaba boomed, 
Even our field work was going well. The Arab regulars had just had their third success against Jerdun, the battered station which they made it almost a habit to take and lose. Our armored cars happened on a Turkish sortie from Maan, and smashed it in such style that the opportunity never recurred. Zaid, in command of half the army posted north of Uheda, was showing great vigor. His gaiety of spirit appealed more to the professional officers than did Faisal's poetry and lean earnestness. So this happy association of the two brothers gave every sort of man a sympathy with one or other of the leaders of the revolt. For six weeks, we marked time. Zaid and Jafar, with their regulars, continued a profitable battering upon the Ma'an sector. Sharif Nasir, accompanied by Peak and Hornby, moved to Hessa, 40 miles northward, and occupied eight miles of railway in one happy thrust. By intensive demolition, the very foundations of the line thereabout were destroyed, and the Turkish contemplated offensive against Faisal in Abba al-Lisan was brought to naught. Donay and myself took advantage of the lull to go up again to Allenby. At GHQ, we felt a remarkable difference in the air. The place was, as always, throbbing with energy and hope, but now logic and coordination were manifest in an uncommon degree. The new army was arriving to time from Mesopotamia and India. Prodigious advances in grouping and training were being made. On June the 15th, it had been the considered opinion of a private conference that the army would be capable of a general and sustained offensive in September. The sky was indeed opening over us, and we went into Allenby, who said outright that late in September he would make a grand attack to fulfill the Smuts plan, even to Damascus and Aleppo. Our role would be as laid down in the spring. We must make the Dara'a raid on the 2,000 new camels. Times and details would be fixed as the weeks went on. On July the 11th, 1918, Donay and I were again talking to Allenby and Bartholomew, his new staff officer, and of their generosity and confidence, seeing the undress working of a general's mind. It was an experience, technical, reassuring, and very valuable to me, who was mildly a general too, in my own odd show. Allenby's confidence was like a wall. Before the attack, he went to see his troops massed in secrecy, waiting the signal, and told them he was sure, with their good help, of 30,000 prisoners. This, when the whole game turned on a chance. Bartholomew was most anxious. He said it would be desperate work to have the whole army reformed by September, and even if they were ready, actually, some brigades existed as such for the first time when they went over. We must not assume that the attack would follow as planned. It could be delivered only in the coastal sector, opposite Ramleh, the railhead, where only could a necessary reserve of stores be gathered. This seemed so obvious that he could not dream of the Turks staying blind, though momently their dispositions ignored it. Allenby's plan was to collect the bulk of his infantry and all his cavalry under the orange and olive groves of Ramleh, 
just before the 19th of September. Simultaneously, he hoped to make in the Jordan Valley such demonstrations as should persuade the Turks of a concentration there in progress. The two raids to Salt had fixed the Turks' eyes exclusively beyond Jordan. Every move there, whether a British or Arabs, was accompanied by counter-precautions on the Turks' part, showing how fearful they were. In the coast sector, the area of real danger, the enemy had absurdly few men. Success hung on maintaining them in this fatal misappreciation. Deceptions, which for the ordinary general were just witty hors d'oeuvres before battle, had become for Allenby a main point of strategy. Bartholomew would accordingly erect, near Jericho, all condemned tents in Egypt, would transfer veterinary camps and sick lines there, would put dummy camps, dummy horses, and dummy troops wherever there was plausible room, would throw more bridges across the river, would collect and open against enemy country all captured guns, and on the right days would ensure the movement of non-combatant bodies along the dusty roads to give the impression of eleventh-hour concentrations for an assault. At the same time, the Royal Air Force was going to fill the air with husbanded formations of the latest fighting machines. The preponderance of these would deprive the enemy for days of the advantage of air reconnaissance. Bartholomew wished us to supplement his efforts with all vigor and ingenuity from our side of Amman. Yet he warned us that, even with this, success would hang on a thread, since the Turks could save themselves and their army and give us our concentration to do over again by simply retiring their coast sector seven or eight miles. The British army would then be like a fish flapping on dry land, with its railways, its heavy artillery, its dumps, its stores, its camps all misplaced, and without olive groves in which to hide its concentration next time. So, while he guaranteed that the British were doing their utmost, he implored us not to engage the Arabs on his behalf in a position from which they could not escape. The noble prospect sent Donay and myself back to Cairo, in great fettle and cogitation. News from Aqaba had raised again the question of defending the plateau against the Turks, who had just turned Nasir out of Hesse and were contemplating a stroke against Abba al-Isan about the end of August, when our Dara'a detachment should start. Unless we could delay the Turks another fortnight, their threat might cripple us. A new factor was urgently required. At this juncture, Donay was inspired to think of the surviving battalion of the Imperial Camel Corps. Perhaps GHQ might lend it us to confuse the Turks' reckoning. We telephoned Bartholomew, who understood and backed our request to Bowles in Alexandria and to Allenby. After an active telegraphing, we got our way. Colonel Buxton, with 300 men, was lent to us for a month on two conditions. First, that we should forthwith furnish their scheme of operations. Second, that they should have no casualties. Bartholomew felt it necessary to apologize for the last magnificent, heartwarming condition, which he thought unsoldierly. Donay and I sat down with a map and measured that Buxton should march from the canal to Aqaba, thence by rum 
to carry Mudawara by night attack, thence to Bear, to destroy the bridge and tunnel near Amman, and back to Palestine on August 30. Their activity would give us a peaceful month, in which our 2,000 new camels could learn to graze, while carrying the extra dumps of forage and food, which Buxton's force would expect. As regards the main scheme, Allenby meant to attack on the 19th of September, and wanted us to lead off not more than four, nor less than two days before he did. His words to me were that three men and a boy with pistols, in front of Dara'a on September the 16th, would fill his conception, would be better than thousands a week before or a week after. The truth was, he cared nothing for our fighting power, and did not reckon us part of his tactical strength. Our purpose, to him, was moral, to keep the enemy command intent upon the Transjordan front. In my English capacity, I shared this view, but on my Arab side, both agitation and battle seemed equally important. The one to serve the joint success, the other to establish Arab self-respect, without which victory would not be wholesome. Accordingly, I planned to march 500 regular mounted infantry, the battery of French quick-firing .65 mountain guns, proportionate machine guns, two armored cars, sappers, camel scouts, and two airplanes, to Azraq, where their concentration must be complete on September the 13th. On the 16th, we would envelope Dara'a and cut its railways. Two days later, we would fall back east of the Hejaz Railway and wait events with Allenby. As reserve against accident, we would purchase barley in Jebel Druze and store it at Azraq. Nuri Shah Alan would accompany us with a contingent of Ru'ala, also the Serdiye, the Sarahin, and Harani peasants of the Hollow Land under Talal al-Haradin. Donay helped the organizing side by getting us from GHQ the loan of Sterling, a skilled staff officer, tactful and wise. Sterling's passion for horses was a passport to intimacy with Faisal and the chiefs. Among the Arab officers were distributed some British military decorations, tokens of their gallantry about Ma'an. Jafar Pasha's deserved CMG was pointed by Allenby's wit. Jafar came up to Palestine to receive it, and the staff took the opportunity to stage a formal little ceremony of presentation as token of respect for their erstwhile captive. The guard of honor was furnished by the Dorset Yeomanry, who had galloped the Pasha down and hacked him with their sabers in the Senussi Desert less than three years before. Jafar laughed with delight at an incident so much in his own hearty vein. These marks of Allenby's esteem heartened the Arab army. Nuri Pasha Said offered to command the Dara'a expedition, for which his courage, authority, and coolness marked him as the ideal leader. He began to pick for it the best 400 men in the army. Pisani, the French commandant, fortified by a military cross and in urgent pursuit of a DSO, took bodily possession of the four Schneider mountain guns, which Cousset had sent down to us after Bremont left, and spent agonized hours with Young, trying to put the scheduled ammunition and mule forage with his men in his own private kitchen, 
onto one half the requisite camels. The camps buzzed with eagerness and preparation, and all promised well. End of chapter 27 Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SaulGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G. Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with SaulGood streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SaulGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G.